John, how's the winter of your discontent? Uh, well, the rain has finally stopped, so... Southern California sucks, man. It's like we moved out here for fun and sun 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Yeah. And sadly, we've been getting nothing but rain. It also, seems reflective of your psychological state. It's like somehow our lives and popular culture are somehow merging. Exactly. I mean, have you even seen the Star Wars films? Let me t- let's talk about Star Wars. I was thinking about how independent contractors were on the Death Star. <laughs> I was thinking about pornos. Pornos, pornos, pornos. Jizz. Yeah. Ooh, I'm saying jizz. Look out. Bro, Does that freak be- you out? Squares? Yes. Bro, wouldn't it be funny if I, like, sucked your dick? I mean, <laughs> not that it would happen, but... <laughs> Got latent psychological issues that we're not even bringing up? Ooh, wow, deep. <laughs> Oh, they're bringing it up, I assure you. I assure okay. you that they are. <laughs> I love that we're not bearing the lead at all here. No. We're just we're going right into it. Indeed we aren't. I hope pe- this isn't people's first impression of the show. <laughs> that would be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Aspiring Snobs podcast, where we rewatch. well, not in every case, but basically we expose ourselves to a classic film somewhere in the, you know, cinema snob canon uh, mm-hmm. for the very first time. Exactly. And sometimes neither of us have seen it. Sometimes only one of us has seen it. And this is a special instance today. You see, guys, most of the time I haven't seen something and Greg has seen it. But every once in a while, John gets to recommend, <laughs> gets to you know, pull Greg into a movie I know he would never yeah. take so, the time to experience himself. Exactly. So just and on the record, the time, <laughs> just on the record, you recommended this next movie. Okay. Here's the, here's the rare instance. Yeah. I don't actually enjoy this movie. I just wanted to force Greg to watch it. <laughs> No, it, I, I remember it was in the IMDb Top 250 for a time. Mm-hmm. It is still included in the 1001 movies you need to see before you die. Uh, yes, as is every movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yes, this week we re-exposed ourselves. We flashed ourselves a little bit of Clerks. Empire had the better ending. I mean, Luke gets his hand cut off, finds out Vader's his father, uh, hand gets frozen, take away by Boba Fett. It ends on such a down note. I mean... That's what life is, a series of down endings. All, all Jedi had was a bunch of Muppets. There was something else going on in Jedi. I never noticed it till today. They build another Death Star, right? Yeah. Now, the first one was completed and fully operational before the Rebels destroyed it. Luke blew it up. Give credit where credit's due. And the second one was still being built when they blew it up. Compliments Orlando Calrissian. Something just never sat right with me that second time around. I could never put my finger on it, but something just wasn't right. And you figured it out. The first Death Star was manned by the Imperial Army. The only people on board were stormtroopers, dignitaries, Imperials. Basically. So when they blew it up, no problem. Evil's punished. And the second time around? The second time around, it wasn't even done being built yet. It was still under construction. So? So a construction job of that magnitude would require a hell of a lot more manpower than the Imperial Army had to offer. I bet they brought independent contractors in on that thing. Plumbers, aluminum siders, roofers. They're not just Imperials. Is that what you're getting at? Exactly. In order to get it built quickly and quietly, they'd hire anybody that can do the job. Think the average stormtrooper knows how to install a toilet main? All they know is killing in white uniforms. All right, so they bring in independent contractors. Why are you so upset at its destruction? All those innocent contractors brought in to do the job were killed. Casualties of a war they had nothing to do with. Ooh, we're talking about sex candidly. Can you handle it? <laughs> John, it's, it's clear that this is just an expression of middle-aged malaise that uh, characterized the early 90s, in particular the Generation X, which I find <laughs> Middle-aged? I think you mean quarter, quarter century aged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. John, I... 
it, speaking of which, I think it's absolutely stupid to define things by eras. I mean, just the idea of a generation is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, everybody mm. has different experiences. I mean, you and I came of age in the 90s. There's very little, though, we can relate to with Gen X. I mean, we, we're positive people. We're generally happy, ambitious, and <laughs> uh, content with our station in life. Mm-hmm. So I, I think to define anything by like, oh, the era it came out in is, is utterly ridiculous, facile, and stupid. Mm, exactly. Having said that, <laughs> <laughs> Clerks is just about the most 90s thing you could ever imagine. <laughs> I was shocked. I was shocked from the opening bars of a grunge rock commercial and uh, our, our hero, Dante, lacing up his Doc Martin boots and putting on a flannel shirt. I'm like, wow. <laughs> like, I, like you, you'd want to talk about time travel. It, it's been invented. It's here, folks. <laughs> But I guess that's why this movie is worth revisiting, is mm. that not only is it uh, just a perfect encapsulation of its era, but also I do kind of, like, looking back on it, I do kind of appreciate the amateurish quality of it, where it's like, yeah, it's literally just a f- bunch of friends who got together and shot a film. And it shows, because... <laughs> and you, you kind of have to admire that, because, again, we, we want to reiterate this point. If there's one thesis to this whole show, every movie's a miracle. Every movie's mm. a miracle. <laughs> yeah, I, I... if. If you are visiting us for the first time, thank you, welcome. But this is similar to Apocalypse Now. We just watched Apocalypse Now, and I'm wondering like how exactly to judge it, because as we said, every movie's a miracle, and it's so colored by the background. Everything surrounding the film mm-hmm. uh, kind of colors your impression of it. Like As you said, this is an amateur production um, <laughs> from just like the lockdown camp. Like, basically, scenes take place in, in one static shot most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, very grainy, like not, not very good lighting or acting or you know the, the stuff that we take for granted in a professional film. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when you look at it as a bunch of amateurs, like basically you know taking advantage of the independent boom and really wanting to, I, I don't know, like say something, but obviously wanting to express something. Like it's it uh, it really um, kind of elicits some admiration out of me. <laughs> so even if you even if this this movie is an artifact for a bygone era, even if you don't like the characters, which you probably shouldn't, um, or <laughs> some of the puerile humor or sexual politics that it brings up, even if you can't admire that, there was something about me that I was like that I just thought was so adorable about this production. So Exactly. And like I remember the first time I watched this movie, which was a very kind of special instance. Mm-hmm. I watched it at one o'clock AM on Comedy Central, completely ah. uncensored. They could use the F word without believing it. Whoa. It was like, ooh, I thought I was getting away with something. Yeah. And again, like the whole reputation of this movie is like, oh yeah, it's so like Inti- like it's so cool you know it's like <laughs> like i think i saw it when i was like 18 mm-hmm. so it's like it should have hit me like square right in the forehead like oh yeah this is the movie for you <laughs> um and i remember being so disappointed at it. revisiting it i again like yes i don't enjoy it any more than i did the first time but i admire it a little bit more because it, it is so amateur and the fact that they just got together and you know like you i don't know if poor kevin smith has elevated himself more as a filmmaker but <laughs> Um, I, th- I think he has. Okay. I, I, maybe we'll talk about Kevin Smith and his uh, oeuvre a little bit later, but yeah, I exactly. think there's some stuff There's some stuff about Kevin Smith's writing and filmmaking, uh, mm-hmm. quote, in this movie, filmmaking, <laughs> uh, to enjoy. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, since I have exposed, again, 
reason why we do this podcast is so we can expose ourselves to more art house fare. Now, com- having exposed myself to more art house fare, I can kind of appreciate the level that this film is operating on because I am now seeing more of that that breathless, that blow up quality to it, where mm-hmm. those amateur productions are like, oh yes, we were making high art these days, and it's like mm, maybe not, but you were trying, <laughs> so good job. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you say art because how. What artistic merit does this movie have? Is there anything in it that we can apply today? Like, you know, we can look at, say, the, let's say we walk through an art gallery. Those are also like artifacts of a bygone era. There's no way they can entertain audiences today. Let's mm-hmm. look back at this 25, you know, plus years later. Is there anything about it that we can look at and admire it today other than the amateurish, like, charming <laughs> quality that it has? <laughs> Um, I would say that even though you do like to, you, you were kind of complaining about you know how we talk about generations, mm-hmm. like how we talk about these weird like ten to twenty year cycles of how young people act. I do think it captures that malaise quite well. I guess we should get into our main character, Dante. Yes, um, he's he introduced falling out of a closet, which I didn't understand, mm-hmm. but uh, I think it was implying that he was wasted the night before. He's Got hungover, it. and he mm-hmm. gets a call. He has to go into work. Ugh. Yeah, he's a clerk at a convenience store. And when he shows up, up at 6 a.m., so he's gotten, like, two hours of sleep. He's mm. obviously not very happy with his station in life. But also, he's kind of to blame for his station in life. <laughs> and if there's if there's any kind of grand thesis this movie is trying to make, it's this kind of character piece about this person, Dante, who's kind of like, I'm not even supposed to be here today. He's a dip. He's a complete whiny <laughs> little bitch. Doesn't really do anything to make his life any better. Yeah. <laughs> now, granted, the... Some of the storylines and characters point out that fact. Mm-hmm. However, it's contrasted with uh, the fact that he catches the ad- the admiration of two ladies. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so it's this, it's this, like the most unrealistic where... part of the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. So it's this disconnect. Like like this character Dante is a loser. Mm-hmm. The movie halfway views him as such, but it also views him as like a ladies' man. Well, I do think there is a like what they recognize in him, and I don't think the movie kind of captures is that Dante is obviously smart. Yeah. And he's obviously charming. And, you know, he has this way about him. Like, again, the dialogue almost captures that. Like, let's be honest. Dante's a bit of an author insert character yeah. <laughs> for, you know, Kevin Smith. And yeah. so I do think there is something about his personality where he could probably make his life better if he really, really tried. Obviously, he does not. And he wants to blame everybody else for that. Can you imagine being halfway decent to the customer sometimes? Let me boil your car. May I be blunt with you? If you must. We are employees of the Quick Stop Convenience and RST Video, respectively. As such, we have certain obligations, though they may seem cruel and unusual, does mean manning the store until closing. I see, so playing hockey and attending wakes, these practices are standard operating procedures. There's a difference. Those are obligations. Obligations that couldn't have been met at any other date. Now, renting videos, that's just gratuitous, not to mention illogical, being that you work at a video store. Are you open? Yes. You know what? I don't think I care for your rationale. Well, it's going to have to do being that it's my car up for a request. Can I help you? A pack of cigarettes. So what's your point? My point is, you're a clerk paid to do a job. You can't just do anything you want while you're working. Space alien revealed as head of Time Warner. Report stock increase. They print any kind of shit in this paper. They certainly do. Three dollars. Hmm. I mean, again, like the movie kind of, (laughs) I wish the movie kind of made it a little more subtle because, again, he can only really capture that by having a character tell him that over and over and over again. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, it's two, there are two author insertions here, John. 
Ah, and maybe yes. maybe it's because uh, our the author of the screenplay, Kevin Smith, contains <laughs> multitudes. But <laughs> there's Dante. Let's contrast that with his uh, fellow clerk who works next door. Much more of a slacker, much more acerbic, uh, much more sarcastic, and maybe maybe befits the malcontent of this generation, quote unquote. And mm-hmm. that's Randall. Mm-hmm. He works at a video store, speaking of artifacts, um, <laughs> and uh, he shows up like half an hour late, constantly closes the store, is uh, rude, um, or at least ignores, <laughs> is completely rude to customers, including at one point spitting on one, mm-hmm. who I don't believe had anything. So, But as you said, there, there's the other, we're supposed to find him charming as well. <laughs> Um, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> at least Randall. Well, at least could... it, well he's he's kind of the truth teller because he's the one that always directs the 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 truth at Dante, basically saying you're a loser, you're responsible for your own station in life. I guess that's true. Yeah. Uh, or I, you define only... yourself by your job, or or yeah. somehow that that dictates your label or whatever your job title is dictates your actions. I guess the thing we're supposed to admire about Randall is the fact that yes, he is a truth teller, but also he just kind of does what he wants without care or guilt. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're supposed to kind of admire about him. It's kind of like you know, it's it's kind of like the uh, again Star Wars comparison. There's the Luke Skywalker and the Han Solo. Yes, yeah. Luke Skywalker is the character we identify with. Han Solo is the character we want to be. So mm-hmm. it's kind of the same th- double act that's working here. It's like Dante's the character we see ourselves in. Randall's the character we want to be. But both are assholes. So. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> now, granted, you're right. I mean, the characters aren't particularly likable. But one thing I do like is the fact that Kevin Smith actually wrote comedy scenes mm-hmm. and things That's like you true. can see, th- like it's not exceptional filmmaking, but you can at least see the bones of like, even though this is okay, even though this is an amateur production, like it's it's quality writing at some point. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, the movie's built around these little episodes. Each episode features like one joke that kind of comes around at the end, mm-hmm. or you know, plays by the rule of three. So at least there's like some semblance of. Whatever like interaction these characters, these contrasting characters are having, like it does result in some comedic value. And then all these episodes are obviously introduced with a black title card with white text in American typewriter. <laughs> so so sophisticated. You sure it's not career? <laughs> it's it's definitely American typewriter. <laughs> now I actually appreciated that because John, what other transitions could you possibly do? Um, between I, scenes, I, I guess. <laughs> like cut true. to cut to another establishing shot of the convenience <laughs> store. Come on. Well, the other thing too is he couldn't film during the day, so he could only do so many establishing yeah. shots. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned it because I didn't want to mention you said author insertion, and I had to restrain myself from saying it. It literally is because Kevin Smith was working at this convenience store at the exact same time he was writing and directing this movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, like, does that color your impression? The fact that not only is this amateurs, but they're also ambitious in the fact that they're making a movie while also working their day job or something like that does that color your impression of these characters at all i do i do think that that also is part of the the reason why this film is so well respected is because obviously kevin smith has turned his whole career centered around the idea that he's an independent filmmaker and that he worked so hard it's kind of like i feel like that colors a lot of impressions of small little independent films like the only one that comes to the top of my mind is like Mariachi, where he was like literally selling his body for experimentation <laughs> to pay for that movie. Same thing here. It's like, you know, he filmed it in a location he was already working and, you know, he borrowed money from his parents. He sold part of his comic book collection, which, I mean, mid 90s. You talk had to about do timing. That. Like, yeah. yeah, that was the perfect time to do it. So good job, Kevin Smith. Yeah. That's <laughs> just fortuitous. It was fate. <laughs> so you're absolutely right. That does kind of color the impression. 
and there's no way to like we can't go into this movie now not thinking about that not knowing the whole kind of background and backstory of it so obviously mm-hmm. that's going to color it and also let's talk about the fact the the techniques that are used in this film it's obviously shot in black and white yeah and you can argue that oh that's a or that's a or that's artistically intended because again it, it captures that malaise that kind of unhappiness like it's it's a gray dull world that dante lives in no he did it in black and white because a it was cheaper and b (laughs) he didn't have to worry about lighting (laughs) that's true if you're filming in a location that just has fluorescent lights you don't have Mm -hmm. to worry about color temperature yeah that's the other reason why he uh the gates are always closed uh in the beginning of the film he's trying to open the uh, gates to the windows someone has stuck a gum in the locks Mm-hmm. Well, the reason why he did that is so that the shutters are always closed, so that way, you know, it's obvious. It's not obvious that he's filming <laughs> that at night constantly. That did throw me constantly. off. Like, I'm like, wait, is this at night? <laughs> I think, still think you can see Everything it feels at night. It does yeah. really feel at night. <laughs> but again, like, I think that kind of captures the tone of the film perfectly, which is, again, this ennui, this malaise, like, ugh, life sucks. <laughs> so it's kind of like a happy accident. Well, there's that, there is that tone. Mm-hmm. of basically slackers, you know, trying to make something of their lives. They never do, spoiler alert, but <laughs> <laughs> there's that tone, and then there's also the silly comedy that also lives underneath. Exactly. I, I won't a, say silly, a, yeah. It's, there's a long strain of immature immature humor, let's yes. be honest. And so that's that's something I also, like, kind of admired, but couldn't quite, like, you know, give my approval, give my stamp of <laughs> approval on. Mm-hmm. Because while we have, you know, scenes in which characters are talking... Which those are fine. I mean, they're they're like little stories in them themselves. You also have uh, like little quick cuts and montages and quirky characters coming through the store. Um, <laughs> the one that most felt like out of place for me is when they actually leave the store mm-hmm. to go to the wake of an old high school friend um, yeah, who yeah, died yeah. suddenly. Mm-hmm. And they ask, uh, like, you know, and they close the store, and Dante's, of course, worried because he's still dedicated to his job somewhat. He's like, uh, nobody, nobody's going to be at the store. And then they cut away to, like, it, it's like a cartoony <laughs> shot of, like, five people pounding at the door. Like, hey, let us in. Why are you closed? Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a, I, I do kind of appreciate those quick cutaways because, again, it shows some kind of, like, uh, editing techniques. There's a, another scene like that yeah. where... Um, that's presumably you know, why half the scenes take place in one static <laughs> shot because you don't have to like read the uh, film through the machine, you know, chunk, <laughs> cut it, tape it up. Exactly. But there's another scene quite like that where they, uh, Randall and Dante, are uh, debating who has the dumber customers who come in. Yeah. And then it's kind of like a quick uh, cut shot, you know, cut shots of like people asking dumb questions, you know, kind of like yeah. matching. Matching exact shot for shot, kind of like the same way that like uh, Wes Anderson would do it or something like that. That's the first comparison I could think of. So uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Like I, again, like there's there's obviously some comedic chops working here. You'd feel a hell of a lot better if you just rip into the occasional customer. Why? I, I don't bother them and they don't bother me. You liar! Tell me there aren't customers that annoy the piss out of you on a daily basis. There aren't. Why can you lie like that? Why don't you vent? Vent your frustrations. Come on, who pisses you off? I guess it isn't customers in particular. Maybe just a group of customers. Well, let's hear it. Well, the milkmaids. The milkmaids? The women that go through every gallon of milk looking for that later date, as if somewhere beyond all the other gallons is a container of milk that won't go bad for like a decade. You know who I can do without? I can do without the people in the video store. Which ones? All of them. What would you get for a six-year-old boy who chronically wets his bed? So do you have any new movies in? 
Do you have that one with that guy who was in that movie that was out last year? They never rent quality flicks. They always pick the most intellectually devoid movie on the racks. Ooh, Navy SEALs! It's like in order to join, they have to have an IQ less than their shoe size. I'd, yeah, but sometimes it, it's like oil and water, like the the uh, realistic uh, depiction of ennui in the early 90s versus, <laughs> you know, I think at the end of the hockey scene, there is a Looney Tunes like sting, like, dun -dun 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 -dun. <laughs> which again, I, I didn't mind. Again, it's an amateur production. You know, we, we work with what we got. So, okay. Yeah. Again, it, it, it just colors your impression of the film. Like, like, hey, good job, guys. Um <laughs> The only, well, it's also the only like it's also though I like if the movie was kind of so true to life it would be boring it would be lame because <laughs> again the whole point bro. of their the whole point of their lives is that it's boring and uninteresting so when there is like a weird over the top uh, comedic set piece like going to the wake and knocking the body out of the casket which we don't see like yeah. it's all the kind of more funnier so I kind of appreciated that contrast a little bit more. And... I mean, granted, I, it's not that funny, and again, it's not that well written, but <laughs> no, exactly. And, well, like that, you use your limitations to kind of make make the film better, because, again, you're leaving that scene. It's it's almost funnier when they go into the the funeral home, the camera stays outside, you hear a crash, and then they run out. Like, exactly. that's, that's funnier than having the scene play out in real But what's not is on the way there, and this scene mm -hmm. really rankled me, is that um, it, they, have a, they have that uh, rapid dialogue between randall and dante as every other scene does but um and the camera's positioned in the back seat and it just pans between them <laughs> like he was too <laughs> for some reason he was just too lazy to either uh film the scene twice <laughs> or <laughs> actually make the edits to like there's no point in you just like panning back and forth like just make those cuts instead but Mm. I mean, I guess the other thing we should kind of talk about is the sexual politics of this movie. <laughs> yes, I, I, I wanted to bring that back. Like, while we admire, while we can admire the ambitious amateur spirit behind the movie, one thing mm. we can't abide by <laughs> is the two our two primary female characters. For one, they they seem to have a shocking admiration of this Dante guy, in spite of the fact that he's a loser. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, they just they know they see the potential. They know he nice. can be great. That's the difference. Uh. It's it's classic woman syndrome. We can make him better. <laughs> yeah, so clearly they devote themselves um, completely <laughs> to him. One of which comes all the way from, uh, it takes an eight-hour train ride to mm. get back with him and his stupid goatee. <laughs> exactly. And she's going to marry like some rich guy and kind of be happy. And she's mm -hmm. like, no, I got I to gotta go bang this convenience store clerk instead. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I suppose that's to set up some kind of conflict or drama or consequence because that's one thing like when you have the slice of life movie you want like a big implications to enhance the drama in this case it's like well which girl is she going to choose or how is he going to move forward in life with this relationship mm -hmm. and so this is the best that kevin smith could come up with uh, two women that that fawn and, and dote over him <laughs> <laughs> Even though he does, even though he clearly does not deserve it. <laughs> no, he does not. And the other thing too is, again, like the whole sexual politics. I do appreciate that it brings it back into his level of maturity. Throughout the movie, he learns that one of his, the his current girlfriend, has actually like been with a lot more sexual partners than he has, and he's yeah. obviously very upset. And it's like, well, wait, before you had more sexual partners, and that made you a stud. Why does that make me a slut all of a sudden? Yeah. <laughs> so at least it has that kind of level of self-awareness. And again, like uh, just another piece of evidence that Dante's a complete asshole. <laughs> but unfortunately, what happens with the other girlfriend is, again, because she's so ready to jump his bone, she ends up through, you know, great, just 
perfectly timed plot contrivances, uh, <laughs> she ends up fucking a corpse. <laughs> yeah. So, so there is a... I actually like the scene. There is a creepy customer who comes You like the scene? <laughs> no, 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 no. I didn't like I didn't like the result of the scene. I like the scene that sets it up. Uh Dante's oh, okay. at the counter and mm-hmm. a kind of creepy customer comes in and he's he's very verbose. He says like, uh, uh hey, can I use the bathroom? Come on, let me use the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And then rule of threes comes back, second act. Uh hey, you got good toilet paper? I see you sell softer toilet paper over there. Let me use it. Come on. <laughs> And, and then, then, of course, he asked for something to like, read. Yeah, I need reading materials. So how about, how about one of them nudie mags? <laughs> so that's that scene works. But in the, in the intervening time, uh, apparently he suffered a heart attack while masturbating. His priapism lasts uh, through his uh, corpse-like state. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so when this uh, this harlot comes back from Ohio <laughs> to break up his marriage, to wind up with a, some loser working as a checkout clerk, some high school dropout or whatever, <laughs> mm-hmm. she assumes that it's him in the bathroom and uh, proceeds to have sex with the corpse. So, yeah. Yeah. No, just great writing all around. Yeah, just <laughs> fantastic. Okay, so we should probably explain. This is probably our fault because we're not exactly uh, puerile in our humor. We don't like we don't like the scatological japery. <laughs> so obviously, this wouldn't appeal to us as much as it obviously does millions of Twitter followers and bots out there. But <laughs> I I don't know. I I, I guess that's, that's well. It's also the... not helped by the fact that Randall is kind of like a horn dog himself. And again, he keeps making jokes about like nudie mags and pornos and stuff like that. Like, yeah, I, I, if, if if it were one or the other, I think I could handle it. But it's the fact that it's coming from both ends, ayo, um, <laughs> that uh, it, it just becomes kind of like too much. Okay. But again, like the well, other thing too of, is well, speaking of horny characters, there's also come on, there are two eponymous, the most uh, yes. famous characters that come out of this particular particular <laughs> movie, Jay and Silent Bob. Hmm. Um, much fun. Uh, yes. <laughs> I believe this was motivated just so that Kevin Smith could stick his friend Jason Muse in the movie to rattle to rattle off uh, some some sexual dialogue and do some silly dancing. <laughs> well, I mean, it does seem kind of like true to life. I assume every convenience store has two losers who just park out there all day and sell weed, so <laughs> uh, probably. I mean, well, uh, and also gives us something to cut away to because that is also true. Yeah, you, you can't just cut away to say a, a jokey scene in the convenience store, a jokey scene in the video. Like, let's let's add some texture to the movie, and so they do. As Kevin Smith gives himself the most poignant line about helping out this pud, basically saying, "Hey, this girl brought you lasagna, idiot. <laughs> exactly. She loves you." <laughs> And you're like, hey, don't suck any dick on your way out to the parking lot, you idiot <laughs> slut. I hate you. <laughs> no wonder I still work at the convenience store. <laughs> I'm not even supposed to be here, dude. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what a whiny bitch. <laughs> I know. What an asshole. I used to go out with her. Yeah, well, I thought we might be starting again. Do I already have a girlfriend? Yeah, Veronica. And what, you're going to dump her for that can chick? Maybe. I don't know, dude, that can chick's nice, but I see that Veronica girl doing shit for you all the time. I saw her rubbing your back, fucking come brings your food. Then I see her change your tire once. Hey, you know, I jacked up the car. All she did was unloosen the nuts and put the tire on. I don't know, she does a lot for you. She's my girlfriend. I had some girlfriends, too, but all they wanted from me was reading shit. Shit, my grandma used to say, what's better, fucking a good plate with nothing on it? No, way, I fucked up. What's a good plate with nothing on it? Meaning? Oh, no, she was seen all shit. She used to fucking piss herself all the time. And shit herself. Come on, son, Bob. Let's get the fuck out of this fucking jib joint with this fucking faggot Dante. You cock smoker. 
You know, there's a million fine-looking women in the world, dude, but they don't all bring you lasagna at work. Most of them just cheat on you. <laughs> no, you're right. Like, uh, Jay and Simon Bob work, and I think there's a big reason why they've kind of become the most popular characters Kevin Smith has come up with and why they keep popping up in the rest of his movies. I mean, given mm-hmm. the amateur quality of the acting, Jason Mewes actually does a pretty good job. <laughs> but granted, I don't think he's acting particularly hard. It seems like it comes from a very personal place, that character. Yeah. <laughs> Again, his, sta- his name is Jay, for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah. I, unfortunately, I don't know what else to say about... Um, maybe there's not too much more to say. I mean, again, it's just kind of like... Uh, that's the other kind of weird thing about you know sometimes watching classics. It's like they, if if they ring so true to pop culture and you know they've embedded themselves in people's brains, you'd expect a little bit more going on. And honestly, this movie doesn't. It's it's a perfect time capsule. It captures and then it's just in your head and out the out the other ear and it's gone. So <laughs> like I kind of felt that way again watching like Breathless or something like that, which perfectly captured. Oh yeah, France in the '60s. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a fair comparison, John. Uh, mm. Again, like a little time capsule. I would say there's more artistic merit to Breathless. Mm. I mean, granted, just because it's guess, French, that's the only no, reason. Not, oh, it's, it's so sophisticated. But because Godard was doing some different things that were unexpected of film, he was taking a new direction. I mean, he obviously this, <laughs> he obviously moved the camera around a bit. So exactly. Give him credit for that. <laughs> exactly. This this movie, like you see the 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 heart of an artist inside of it. Um, but it's still an amateur production that captured the minds, the hearts and minds of some uh, really just probably huge losers and idiots who <laughs> now populate IMDb and other websites. <laughs> the Smodcast and whatever else, what other cult following that Kevin Smith has. I mean, I, I appreciate the fact that he's, you know, finagled this into a public speaking career and a podcast career. I mean, mm-hmm. he obviously has something to say, so more power to him. Yeah. Granted, I don't think he's a great filmmaker, but, you know, he obviously has something to say and uh, you know, got to appreciate uh what's what's the what's the phrase everyone don't knock the hustle. That's that, that the yeah, cool, exactly. So the I cool was, millennials are saying. I was going to say, John, don't it, he is a filmmaker. You can't deny that. So. Mm. He Fair made point. a movie. It's 92 minutes long. <laughs> I mean, from the director of Red State. Remember yeah. how Red State lit the <laughs> I world don't on fire? That. No. <laughs> Zach and Miri make yeah, a what porno. The, yeah, what the what the hell happened? Because <laughs> there's some earnestness to this movie, and then you look at the like a piece of garbage, like yoga hosers. It looks like it was shot in a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I think it's because this perfectly captures that kind of uh, that uh, mindset in, stuck in your early twenties. I don't think he really ever evolved past that. Like imagine, imagine if uh, you know Steven Spielberg never evolved past like making like a film like 1941. You know, mm. it's like he grew older. He he evolved. He became a father. So all his movies are about fatherhood and things like that. Well, also he came from a broken home that really oh, influences okay. his movies. Yeah, either. Well, I mean, yeah, he's he's done some more challenging things. I can understand. Um, <laughs> he is also the, John, the greatest filmmaker of all time, which Kevin Smith is certainly not. So <gasps> how dare you? <laughs> Shame that the IMDb message boards aren't alive today, or else they would they would come after you. <laughs> yes, they would. <laughs> that said, I I do like Dogma and Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Um, <laughs> Jane Silent Bob Strike Back is actually a really funny movie. Yes. <laughs> like so, you can see how he can he can construct a a good comedy. I think. Mm-hmm. I won't call it a character based comedy because there is also the other half where Will Ferrell just acts like a clown. Um, <laughs> Well, I would have. Th- I I think his career would have been much more interesting if he actually just wrote instead of directed. But he always like mm. had to be a director as well, and 
I don't know. Like, I don't think I don't know if he really has the. I mean, right now he's just like mostly directing TV these days. Like he does a lot of uh, those kind of uh, CW uh, superhero shows. Like he does a lot of episodes of The Flash and I think Supergirl. So really, yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, he he's done a few of those episodes. You know, besides and again his speaking engagements, his podcasts, and the stuff he does for IMDb. So oh, he found a perfect home. <laughs> okay, good good for him. Good, good job, buddy. You loser out of uh, New Jersey. Finally made good. <laughs> hey, the floor looks pretty clean. I whipped the cat next door. You gonna ride home? No, I got one. Just pulled up. You working tomorrow? Same time. What about you? I'm calling out. Going to the hospital and visit Caitlin. And then I'm going to try to talk to Veronica. You want to grab a bite to eat or something when you're done with that and I get off work? I'll give you a call. I'll let you know. All right. Hey, good luck with Veronica. If you want, I can talk to her and try and no, straighten No, thanks. I think I can handle it. We have a lot of shit to talk about. Hell of a day. To say the least. Want me to do anything before I get out of here, man? Why don't you rang for me? No. Come on, just wrangle out the door. No. Come on. No, no, no. Here comes Randall. He's a berserker. Na, 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 na. <laughs> You're closed. Honestly, Greg, all I hear, I, I, I hear a seething a piece of resentment from you. Is that what uh, I'm hearing? Because I know you had ambitions of being a filmmaker. Do you still I have <laughs> Well, we'll see. I mean, when somebody recognizes my genius, then... Oh, okay. <laughs> really, you just need to get all your friends together. Yes. And film no, uh, Well, friends. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Therein lies the challenge. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. I'd have to have friends in the first place. <laughs> yeah. I know, I'll go to a website to help find... Where's Friendster? Here we go. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Perfect time capsule. Yes. <laughs> Bringing it full circle. Yes. But John, I, I mean, while we can't probably wholeheartedly recommend this uh, this artifact from the early 90s, maybe we can uh, recommend something else. Oh, boy. But do we ever have recommendations? Yes. We're talking about our signature section, where we always recommend something worthwhile. <laughs> It's called Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. I, I do. I do wonder about our track record, though. I wish we had like results. Like we could track. I, that's like, true. This spotlight was worth it. This spotlight was not. <laughs> yeah, we should do a, a gigantic poll over 117 <laughs> episodes to see. <laughs> you guys are right on this one. You guys not so not so much on this one. <laughs> And we'll become like, it'll become like Rotten Tomatoes for <laughs> 234 different recommendations. Well, maybe not exactly, but okay. <laughs> Who goes first this week? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'll go with mine because, again, I, we were talking about a life, a slice of life movie. That's what I wanted to recommend in sharp relief to Clark. Jeez, oh, another slice of life movie. <laughs> Indeed, I, I I alluded to this particular film last week when I made a comparison. Uh, for those who have seen Roma. You'll notice this is a uh, realistic Mexican movie shot in black and white. Most people may not know this is part of a, a new wave of Mexican filmmakers uh, making films in this exact style. Yes. Mm. And I want to talk about one of my favorites of these. Um, it's called Duck Season. <laughs> now, that title is, is meaningless, at least localized in the United States. But it is about two brothers... At least I believe they're brothers. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen it. But um, <laughs> hanging out in their Mexico City apartment. The power's gone out. 
mm-hmm. you know, not not doing well, and uh, basically have to make a have to make the day for themselves while their mother is out working. Okay. Well, I assume the power is out so that they don't have to worry about lighting. <laughs> they can just shoot uh, well, no, it's it's more story based because now they can't play video games, John. So how the hell oh. are they going to fill their day? <laughs> these kids these days and their video games. <laughs> exactly. So they try to order a pizza, but they can't pay for it. So that that there adds a third cast member into our into our little world here <laughs> because he refuses to leave without getting paid. So okay. And there's the young young girl who works across. Uh, sorry, works who lives across the hallway. <laughs> Um, she wants Ooh. to hang out too, and there's and there's a reason for that. There's a little twist at the end that I'm not going to give away. I want to give people a little. It's care. because her sexual appetite is ravenous, so she's going to bone one of these guys. No. Am I right, fellas? No, Am I right? No, no. <laughs> it's a little more innocent than that, John. Okay, but she does bake pot brownies, and that's how they uh, fill the rest of their day. So. <sighs> Classic Mexicans just constantly smoking pot. These criminals, <laughs> these rapists. I said pot brownies, John. They're ingesting it. They're not smoking it. Whatever. They're sex addled, sex perverts. <laughs> yes. Drug perverts. That's what I meant. They're drug but, perverts. But uh, again, if we're going to contrast this with clerks, uh, it's very sweet. Mm-hmm. You can you can see the earnestness of the characters. I think it's better better produced, better written, um, at least in the way that the the plot kind of follows it, tracks the uh, progress of this day. Um, the characters you identify with, well, maybe not identify with, but they're given kind of motivation or you know some ways in which to move forward with their lives uh, following this uh, this lazy Sunday. I believe it's a Sunday, but anyway, <laughs> it would sound Next right time, if it were a Sunday. Absolutely, it's it's definitely the weekend because the kids aren't at school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can't remember why the mom has to work. But um, again, it's called Duck Season, and and it just proves my bona fides and how uh, sophisticated I am seeking out uh, Ooh, foreign language films shot in black and white. Yes. <laughs> yep. Oh, slice of life movies. Isn't it more interesting when nothing happens in a movie? Yeah. <laughs> not nothing happens, John. Did I not explain the drama of how they're going to pay this pizza guy? <laughs> It's the plot that's not happening that makes it high art. Exactly. It's like jazz. Everybody loves jazz. <laughs> Watch the movie equivalent of jazz. There you go. <laughs> beep, beep, pop, pop. <laughs> and it's from a foreign country, so it's obviously more sophisticated. Yeah, absolutely. I have to read while our... I'm watching this movie. <laughs> I'm exactly. doing two things at once. Better than our boorish American <laughs> movies. Mm-hmm. Other than the Marvel movies, which are all great. <laughs> and course. you should stop complaining about them. <laughs> They're awesome, and you can't do better popcorn entertainment. So I don't know why people get off being like, oh, these movies are so boring. Are you kidding? You could take your chances and go see Immortal Engines if you want, jerk. <laughs> Is that what you have to recommend, John? More, no, Immortal no. Engines? No, sadly. I have two semi-spotlight uh, recommendations. So I don't know mm-hmm. if you've heard, Greg. These millennials are all about this FOMO which is frequently optimized modus operandi, which means that they always want to constantly be doing things. <laughs> really? Yes. And so that was kind of the impetus. The main marketing campaign behind this huge event that happened two years ago called the Fire Festival. Have you ah, heard of this, Greg? Yes. I, John, it's coming back. <laughs> exactly. We're doing it again. Fire Festivals. That. I know. It's going to be here. 2019. I'm here for it. <laughs> We're six I've got my tickets. <laughs> I, I've got my tickets. I've got my Instagram posts. <laughs> Do you have your wristband, Greg? You need your wristband. And also, yes, that's how you're going to pay for everything. You need to put money on your wristband. We recommend $300,000. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm going to be staying in my luxury villa, so <laughs> on the private island here in the Caribbean. So, yeah, let's go. <laughs> yeah. 
so um, this week marked uh, Netflix releasing their documentary about the Fire Festival and yes. Hulu, not to be outdone, which is kind of a genius marketing tactic. They released <laughs> their own Fire Festival documentary, so and then inevitably people had to watch both and compare the two. So exactly, everybody's talking about it now. Exactly, Folks, we're bringing it back. <laughs> Fire Festival 2020. I can't wait. Yep. Um. So, yeah, there's two competing uh, Fire Festival documentaries. I've seen both now, and I would have to say they're both pretty even in terms of quality. So the Netflix one, I would say, is the more interesting film because it, mm-hmm. it's more of a kind of boots on the ground. It's actually done by the people who helped promote Fire Festival, which, depending <laughs> on how you look at it, makes them closer well, to the it, it makes them closer to the actual scene, but also it kind of feels like a PR spin. It's like, guys, we were all fooled. It's like, um, <laughs> were you? Were that's, you? That's what I'm trying to, to cover ask. your asses right now, aren't yeah. you, Jerry Media? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> that's what I wanted to ask. So there, there's a little bit of a ethical uh, lines blurred in both these documentaries, isn't there? First, exactly. Fire Festival being produced by the actual company that promoted Fire Festival. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the Hulu documentary where apparently they offered money to get an exclusive interview with the guy who committed this fraud. Uh, Brian McFarlane is his name. Yes. And I kind of understand... Is it, sorry, is it Brian McFarlane or Billy McFarlane? Oh, shit. So you're right. It's Billy McFarlane. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or it's one of the... Whatever. McF- he yeah. will be referred to as McFarlane from now yeah. on. <laughs> um, yes, they did, they did apparently pay him for to appear in the Hulu documentary. But I also kind of understand because the movie is extremely critical of him. And it's basically like the equivalent of like a stockade you know they put him in the stocks and it's like they ask him questions and you know he's uh, uh, i can't answer that right now and you know he's he's such a he's such a dip i keep using that word but there's, <laughs> there's no other way to describe it he's kind of like and i guess part of the reason again like the reason why the the story why the story is resonating so much because again like there's that schadenfreude of all these instagram influencers yeah. who you know <laughs> got their comeuffins paying thousands of dollars and ended up being stuck in a hellhole for like two days mm-hmm. um but also like this mcfarland guy is kind of like like a modern day donald trump he is just he has a gift of i'm gap. sure you're the first person to make that comparison exactly yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> I mean, the Hulu documentary doesn't put too fine a point on it. It's like, it's a great time to be a scam artist in America right yeah. now. Because, <laughs> again, he's he, it's the same exact modus operandi, you know. Present yourself as this luxury billionaire genius businessman. Mm-hmm. So you just get more money to pay for the things you don't have. Yeah. <laughs> Offer things you don't have, and once you get that money, pay for it, and then try to break even. Like, that's literally yeah. his whole... That's exactly what Donald Trump did, and that's exactly what this McFarlane guy tried to do. Mm. And um, I, the Hulu documentary, I think, is a little more palatable, because it seems like all they did was upload the uh, true crime presets in Adobe Premiere. <laughs> <laughs> um, whereas well, the the Fire one's a little obviously a little more artsy, Um you know, the Hulu documentary uses a lot more kind of like stock footage and uses that classic like, oh, we'll use a public domain cartoon to kind of prove our point or something like that. Okay. <laughs> like it feels like Enron's smartest guy is in the room. So, Well, I like that documentary. And I was going to say, it seems like the Netflix one, Fire, mm-hmm. is directed by an incredibly talented documentary filmmaker named Chris Smith. Um, mm-hmm. He did American Movie, a great documentary about another independent filmmaker like Kevin Smith. <laughs> And he did that um, Jim and Andy one where they got all the behind the scenes of uh, Jim Carrey producing Man on the Moon and acting like an like an absolute a hole <laughs> <laughs> to everybody <laughs> in, in by means of staying in character. So mm-hmm. yeah, 
So it seemed like there was more. There, there's a little bit more heft and prestige behind the Netflix one, Fire. Mm-hmm. Whereas Fire Fraud, it seems like a little bit more. Like you said, like the the Adobe presets, maybe, and yeah, you know, it definitely to... it definitely feels like the well, obviously there's a reason why the Hulu one didn't. It it kind of did a surprise one. It felt like it was trying to catch up with this Netflix one, which they promoted the hell out of. So it's like ah, surprise. So it does feel a little more kind of put together, even though they're both really well researched. And what I appreciate is the fact that there's no besides the fact that the Hulu one kind of makes the point it's like the new documentary is presented by Jerry Media. That's not really fair, is it, guys? <laughs> Both are telling the exact same story. There's no really difference besides perspective on the events. And it's kind of fun watching, okay. like, again, like, they both kind of make the same points. I made a point about the wristband thing. The wristband, I think, thing is, I think, one of the more fascinating elements of the story is that, uh, you know, a month before the event, they all of a sudden decide, like, oh, you need to pay with this wristband. We want to be cashless. So you have this wristband. You need to put money on this wristband. Really, yeah. the whole point of the wristband was that people would put money into the account and they would use that money to pay for everything that they couldn't afford yeah. for the event. <laughs> And well, the, even then, I mean, yeah, the the technology itself sounds spurious. It already sounds exactly, like, a, yeah. like a fa- the fantasy of like, oh, you're going to be on a private island. You're going to have a private villa, and Blink-182 is going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so they're both fine documentaries. I recommend watching both, even though, but maybe not back-to-back, because they are telling okay. literally the exact same story. All right. um, the, the Obviously, the Fire one is a little more interesting, because, again, it doesn't give away the game immediately. The Hulu documentary is, again, a true crime, so it's like, Billy McFarlane. <laughs> he <laughs> thought he had it all. <laughs> this next up on American Green. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't so, know, John. You may have sold me on the Hulu one. I love the show American Greed, so <laughs> I think you'll appreciate the Hulu one a little bit. Although I watched the Hulu one first, so maybe maybe try the Fire one and see, first and see if that one colors your opinion of the Hulu one. So you okay. you decide. You decide. America right, yes. decides. <laughs> Fire America Festival. decides. Worth this, it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. On the shambles that happened two years ago, I gotta say, this is already like too much attention for a single fraud as as great as the schadenfreude is i think there's there's so many better examples of fraud that america can produce like come on let's move on hmm. i think we've said everything we need to say about fire festival okay uh, it's a nice little footnote in history the history of instagram the history of social media so now we can we can move on america i know move on. what is it saying about america well it's already <laughs> said enough so let's that's uh actually all right i do want to also bring up that point uh i think yeah. the I think the other problem with the Hulu one is that it does try to be a little more big idea. It's like, oh, man, Instagram, the young people. (laughs) Whereas the uh, Netflix one is just kind of like, wow, that was crazy, right, guys? (laughs) Well, I I, I would like to see both both approaches. So I'm not going to dismiss one, like, you know, saying, wow, that's crazy. Or (laughs) the other one saying, like, what does this say about our culture? (laughs) Exactly. I think the, the biggest problem, though, with both is that it's very much New York-centric, and I wanted to hear more about the poor people from Barbados who were not mm-hmm. paid for their labor. Like, okay. the Fire one does interview a lot more of the kind of, the I don't want to call them natives, but the, the people living on the island yeah. who obviously, you know, worked 23-hour days to get this to get this pathetic excuse for a <laughs> music festival up and running and then didn't get paid. So, well, yeah, it's a, it's a pity. A lot of people are scammed out of money, so... Yeah. <sighs> What a disaster, huh? I know. <laughs> the fire festival, practically on fire. <laughs> well, I feel like there's a lot more opportunity to, you could say, like, playing with fire. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, the the Hulu one's literally called Fire Fraud. It's like, which is why are you so giving weak. the game away? I know. Weak tea, exactly. <laughs> Get out of here with that Hulu. I know you're not supposed to bury the lead, but come on, throw a little yeah. mystery in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Playing with fire, uh, fighting fire with fire. Um, <laughs> Return fire. Uh, mm. <laughs> oh, that would be good. Return. Yeah, return fire for the... Yeah, because it's like retaliation. There we go. A festival for all seasons. That's what I would yeah. call it. <laughs> a festival for all seasons. <laughs> we could turn it into like a costume drama. <laughs> there you go. The man who would be fire. There we go. Yeah. That's what I would call <laughs> Look for, in two weeks, I'll have my own fire festival documentary. Yeah. <laughs> Look for that on Tubi. Yep. I don't know. <laughs> Michael Caine is playing Jaw Rule. <laughs> Sean Connery is playing Billy McFarlane. <laughs> this whole festival is going to be lit. We're going to be, we're going to be uh, extending all possibilities. Here's to living like rock stars and <laughs> fucking like porn stars. That's a that's a line you'll hear a lot. <laughs> oh yeah, I've already heard it multiple times from the, from one Mister Ja Rule. <laughs> yes. For some reason, he kind of comes out clean in both of them. Like, they, I don't know how, but he just, he ended up just being free at the end of all this. I guess because he wasn't the money man, so. No, he was just, he was just a promoter. He just, he just got suckered like everybody else, so. Guys, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but I think America's better when Ja Rule's in prison. And can, can we all agree? Like, Absolutely. life feels better. Yeah, and not making music. How about that? <laughs> music? Ja Rule? Ja Rule made music? Yes, he did, John. What? I. <laughs> Who who remembers those lips, those thighs? <laughs> just a, just a way with words. It's a brilliant. It's a, just a just a poet, a wizard around around the octaves, okay. whatever the hell, whatever the hell else that was. <laughs> he sucked. Throw him in jail for crimes against music. Throw uh, R. Kelly in jail for crimes against people. <laughs> okay. Hot takes. Hot takes. Yeah. Guys, you can give. You can respond to all these hot takes when you follow aspiring snobs on social media. Yeah, we're on Facebook. We on we're Twitter. On Twitter. We're yeah. not on Instagram, so don't worry. We're not going to defraud you at anything. <laughs> we're not going to post a big orange tile to be like, oh, check out our party. Although, yeah. hmm, mm-hmm. I've already, I already have some ideas in the works. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I'm $3 trillion in debt, so I need to put on a fire festival. <laughs> I know, John. It has <laughs> to, to happen so we can get our money back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and if you want to reach out to us directly with your thoughts and complaints... And yes. your questions about where's your money and where's your wristband, <laughs> yeah. where's your flight information, you mm-hmm. can reach out to us directly at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. Or if you're a Kevin Smith stan mm-hmm. and you love Smodcast and you love all his movies and, and you greatly adore them, tell us what we're wrong about um, mm-hmm. in our assessment of Clerks. Yeah. Tell us how much you love Batman and why Batman's the best superhero. Yeah. We want to hear more of that, please. Yeah. We want to hear more thoughts on Spider-Man. We haven't had enough iterations of him yet. We need we need more. Mm-hmm. And once you're done with that, you can go to your podcast service of choice. Stitcher, Spotify, Apple mm-hmm. Podcasts. Leave us a review. Give us a subscribe. And that'll help more people find us. And we can continue to build this great, brilliant uh, aspiring snobs community and then yes. while you're there unsubscribe to smodcast you know they don't need any more attention they don't need any more sponsors exactly subscribe to our podcast so that we can make money legitimately exactly we're not going to ask for your money with like a patreon Ooh, no no we're going to build the following first exactly with quality content like what we just said with our with our impressions of sean connery and michael kane that's what's going to bring the listeners back we're going to build our, 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 our following organically mm-hmm. and then make money legitimately with reads about toothbrushes and, <laughs> and bed sheets. In the middle of an abortion. An anti-abortion <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. That's, that's not going to date this one at all. <laughs> nope. 
Uh, I like you know he sells himself on being like a logical smart guy. Why did he ever think doing an ad read for like a public speech? <laughs> John, I can't believe it, you're telling me a conservative person tried to sell themselves on their intelligence. <laughs> no. It's not like he could have done it later, John. I mean, no, no other podcast has gone live and then had to do ad reads later. <laughs> it just hasn't been done. Also, that was supposed to be a premium episode. Why is he doing ad reads for a premium episode? <laughs> I don't know, John. He sounds, he sounds about as legitimate a businessman as Billy McFarlane, if I'm oh. being honest. And maybe about as smart. Because, <laughs> oh. again, Baby Hitler. You wouldn't abort Baby Hitler, would you? Yeah. I mean, what are you, some kind of monster? <laughs> Oh, all these great trending topics. Yes, so like we're just we're just on the pulse. The pulse. We are. We are. This will, this will make a whole lot of sense to people in forty eight hours when this <laughs> the episode finally comes out. We should we should try to like come up with predictions about what's going to be trending next. Like, oh my gosh, LeBron! Can you imagine what he said? Oh, I I think it's going to be something involved Laura Laura Loomer actually being arrested for <laughs> her stupidity because while i admired her antics this last one involving uh it almost invading the house of speaker nancy pelosi was uh really sinister in terms of also trying to get uh undocumented workers uh, deported mm, yeah so yeah there's something very sinister and ugly about her stunts going forward so i i hope in the next one she gets actually arrested <laughs> gets actually thrown in jail because she's uh in addition to being an idiot also a hateful hateful person she, I, I you know I, I don't want to overpredict. I think she's spiraling, guys. I think I'm worried about her. <laughs> Do you know she's only 25? See, she looks like Angelica Houston. <laughs> well, that's the same thing with Billy McFarlane. Can you believe he's only 25? He looks like he's like 34. <laughs> I know. Too much partying, guys. Come on. No. Get oh, out of well. the club. Yep. <laughs> get, your, get your nose in a book. How about that? Huh? <laughs> get your nose out of the out of the funny dust, all right? And into a book. <laughs> Get your nose out of that Adderall. Okay. Mm, yeah. Because <laughs> that's probably where Fire Festival came from. <laughs> Just do a quick line. Oh, my gosh. I have so many ideas. <laughs> We're going to start a credit card company. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're going to start a credit card company. All the money will be on your wrist. <laughs> I'm going to have to do a rail to remember what we're watching next week, Greg. I, I will, too, because uh, it's almost Oscar time, brah. Mm, brah. Dude, yeah. Oscars, dude, exclusive party. I got <laughs> yeah. all your hookups. Yes. I got tickets. I got VIP exclusive experience. <laughs> Great. I gotta. It's gotta be just supremely boring being a feat seller at the Oscars. <laughs> but grab the celebrities. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like you could. Like you get within twenty feet of them. Come on. <laughs> Good point. Good point. But in any event, uh, we're going to start looking at some Oscar movies that we may have missed, mm-hmm. um, starting with uh, a big Oscar winner back in the 50s. I'm talking about East of Eden. Oh, boy. We're talking Ooh. James Dean. Oh, wait. Uh, this is a movie from the 50s, so that must mean it's like three hours long, right? I <laughs> no, it's based on a Steinbeck novel, and he did short novels that you can actually finish in, in, over the course of an English class. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, thank goodness. So look forward to that next week. Um, it'll be different from Clerks, but... You know. <laughs> Are you sure? I don't know. Uh, I think pr- I think this will be a good comparison piece. We'll realize that they're pretty much the same movie when you think about it. Yep. James Steen is like, you suck 36 dicks. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you suck 36 dicks. <laughs> that's, my, that's a terrible... Impression. Yeah. 
<laughs> I, I don't well, there's know. another there's another James Dean who who hasn't sucked thirty six dicks, but uh, has probably had at least thirty seven women, maybe okay. thirty seven thousand. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can't do a James Dean impression. All I do is just do a motorcycle impression. That's all I do. Because I'm an easy rider, guys. Mm-hmm. This will actually be our first. Well, not my first uh, James Dean uh, movie. Um, maybe yours. I don't know. I think it might be. I can't think of a movie I've ever seen with James Dean in it. Okay. Yep. You mean not Hot Sluts 4 or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> Greg, come on. That's so beneath us. Talking about porn. I know. So, right? I come know. on. You're right. You're come right. On. You're right. We're not, we're not clerks here. Yeah, come on. We're better, we're better than that. All right. <laughs> so, yes. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, I assure you, keep aspiring. <laughs> 